All right, welcome to Old School Jank. You are David Schuster, David Kohler. Uh, brought to you by twostrongcoffee.com slash TYT. You know all about it. It's the best coffee in the world. It helps progressive causes. Twostrongcoffee.com slash TYT. We're going to talk about how Alex Jones fan accosted me. We're going to talk about whether my experiments of life are working or utterly failing. These are going to be excellent, fun topics. Uh, you know you can catch David Schuster on Rebel Headquarters. You know all these things. Look at that, I like the t-shirt. I got the merch. Yeah, mm -hmm. shoptyt.com, all right. So David, before I start, I'm curious, have you ever been accosted by someone that's seen you in media? And and if so, what happened? Well, funny you should say that, because my daughter was just reminding me a couple of weeks ago of an incident when she was very little. She was probably maybe about three years old. At the time, I think I was working for uh, for Al Jazeera America, and uh, we were getting I don't know, off the subway, on the subway in New York, and some guy came up to me and said, you are a traitor, you should not be working for Al Jazeera. And I said, excuse me? He says, I know you, David Schuster, you, you're Jewish, you should not be working for Al Jazeera. And so my daughter's like, you know, clutching to me, like terrified of who is this guy? And I'm like, okay, this is my daughter here. Maybe this isn't like a great, I mean, it was bizarre. Uh, and it was sort of like kind of in my, in my space. Uh, and it was really sort of annoying. And I said, look, do you ever actually watch Al Jazeera to see what I do for them? No. Well, why don't you watch and then we can have the conversation. Then you can tell me if I'm biased or if I'm anti one thing or not. It was just, you know, um, but I, I I don't think that story quite measures up with the one you're about to tell. You're muted, Jink. Ah, sorry about that, guys. Rookie mistake. I was muted. Uh, David. Um, I was asking, uh, do you think that that guy was also Jewish and that's why he was calling you a traitor or just random anti-Semitism? Yeah, no, he had uh, he had a yarmulke on. He was clearly sort of more orthodox, uh, very obviously staunchly pro-Israel, um, and somehow knew that I went to from you know current TV to Al Jazeera or whatnot, and just had these sort of assumptions uh, about Al Jazeera without ever having sort of watched. Um, what bothered me more than anything actually wasn't so much, you know, he, you know, his point of view or he wants to argue about Israel or argue about media coverage of the Middle East, whatever. It's just that to have that kind of conversation with that kind of tone while I'm literally, literally holding and carrying my, you know, three-year-old daughter. Um, and she at first is sort of like, oh, this is cool. Daddy's being recognized. And then she's like, why is, why is this man being so mean? Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, my kids are used to it. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so uh, both fortunate and unfortunate, because really 19 out of 20 times, uh, the person who comes up to me is wonderful and says terrific mm -hmm. things and they're proud of it and all that stuff. But one out of 20, not good. Uh, so along the lines, by the way, the great uh, irony of the story you told David is that if that guy is a right winger, and we don't know that he was, but if he is a right winger, he'd now be ironically bragging about like, oh, Israel and Qatar get along so great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Israel's got all sorts of relationships with because of the, about the Abram Accords and all sorts of countries in the Middle East that, uh, that you know Israel's tight with. And there are a lot of Israelis that went to Qatar. So maybe you should go there and complain about all the Israelis that are spending their money on the Qatari currency or whatnot for the World Cup. It was just, just strange. And I, you know, to your point about most, I think most people, there have even been some times where people have stopped me and said, oh, you know, David Schuster, I remember you or MSNBC or whatever it was. And there have been a couple of times where people said, you know, Schuster, I always thought you should have stayed at Fox News. And that was sort of their subtle jab of, okay, I know that you had Fox News in your past. I'm a conservative. That's the way to do things. Um, but they were at least nice about it. I mean, 
and to your point, I think most people, you know, most people, even if they sort of disagree with, you know, my reporting or politics or whatever it is, at least they're just sort of nice about it. But there is that one one person that comes along every now and then who was uh, who's a jerk. Yeah, and so that at this point they might be like, I can't believe you're not supporting Al Jazeera. You're such a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyways, okay. So um. So I met this guy in front of a pot shop. Um, I don't know, well over a year ago. Uh, and he's like, oh my God, are you Jank from Young Turks? And I say, yeah. And he's like, oh, you buy pot here too? And I was like, oh, I don't know, occasionally I stop by, right? And uh, and and so he's like, can I take a picture with you? And I was like, uh, sure, yeah, no problem. And then as we were, this is my rough recollection, and I might've told this part of the story on air before. So for a better recollection, go to when I originally told it. Anyways, but bottom line here is as we're taking a picture or at some point in the interaction, he says that he's an Alex Jones fan and then he gets into conspiracies. I still took the picture with him because I was like, I don't know if it was too late at that point. I don't remember, yeah. right? Or if I was like, hey, you know what? Who cares? So you're an Alex Jones fan. God bless. So what? Right? Um, and so. I run into a guy at a at a cafe in LA uh, four days ago, and he's like, "Jake, how are you?" And I'm like, "Good." And this happens to me now a decent amount, where people come up and like assume that we have a relationship, right? <laughs> and so now the thing is, I actually feel bad saying that because if you're a longtime viewer, in a sense, we do have a relationship. Like you know me better than I than I know you. But you're not wrong, you do know me. Like my on-air personality is who I am, right? And so, uh, but for folks who are the most detached from reality, they're the ones who are the ones that make the most assumptions about how we're tight, okay? And so so this guy comes up and he's like, Jake, how are you? And, I'm, and he puts his arm around my shoulder and I'm like, I genuinely felt like maybe I met the guy somewhere and I feel bad I don't remember him. And he says something a little off, and I was like, "Huh, okay, no, I don't think I know this guy." And then he says, "Remember, remember, we met in front of the pot shop, and we took a picture." And I was like, "Oh, it's the Alex Jones fan. No wonder he said something off." Okay, <laughs> and um, and so, but we have an okay interaction. What I do with right wingers in public, generally speaking, is. Uh, I, I just let it go. Whatever they say, I let it go, and that's part of why I'm telling the story because I'm curious how you know what you guys think of how to handle it, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so, um, I uh, so he said, so, you know, we exchanged some pleasantries, and I said, well, good to see you or something, because he was on his way out and I was staying in in line, and uh, and then right as he's going to leave, he holds up for a second, opens the door again, and says. Oh, by the way, Cenk, uh, are you CIA or Mossad? <laughs> and I was like, um, neither. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he's like, come on. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> okay. So, and I'm, I'm like, no, I'm neither. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, Cenk, come on, you're not that stupid. And I'm like, wait. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> like I get it if you say you're not that stupid that you don't believe my lie that I'm not obviously CIA or Mossad, right? But why am I not that stupid? <laughs> like that <laughs> does that mean that if you're smart you would you would be Mossad or CIA? <laughs> okay. But as are we 
surprised at all that the guy's not making any sense. Okay, so then once I just say no to him and I'm not, and then he says, are you stupid? I'm like, now we're going totally sideways, right? So now the question is at that point, what do you guys do? Because remember, right now you gotta make the decision because it happens all of a sudden. And the guy's all of a sudden like telling every, like in the middle of the whole shop, He's like, all right, so just to answer it, which one is it, You're right? Dave Kohler, uh, what do you think you'd do? Well, I would disregard the Mossad uh, CIA thing and just change the conversation like, anyway, did you have a good lunch or whatever? And <laughs> and then wrap it up and get out. Okay. Yeah. yeah, But I'm in line, I can't get out, I, I, oh. I haven't ordered anything. Well, it's still, you gotta change the subject, that, that's what I would do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, sometimes if people will say real crazy things, I'll say, "You really believe that?" I mean, where does that come from? I mean, how do you how do you arrive at that and sort of let them sort of talk themselves and just sort of fill up time and fill up space, and then usually they'll say something that's so illogical, and then I sort of catch them there. But I, I, I yeah, I think to Dave's point, you either have to sort of change the cop, change the topic of conversation, move it to something else, or just get them talking about anything. Um, and about themselves or whatnot, and then at least it just sort of eats up the time until you can get out of there. Yeah, so uh, I uh, thought both of your answers were not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> until I, I realized, hey, you know what? Maybe uh, Schuster's on to something here. And by the way, I'm mainly gonna have to call you guys by your last names because you're both Dave. Right. <laughs> okay, so um, because, so what I did instead was, I've done the engagement before and I've done the distraction before and it, they don't work. Um, they're like, oh yeah, uh, what did I get for lunch? I got the ham sandwich, uh, but back to you and uh, Assad, right? And uh, it's obvious that you're this, this, this. And then if you ask them, why do you think that? Oh my God, the first thing I thought is I've seen that movie before. There goes 20 minutes of your life, right? And then they're gonna ask you a thousand questions about their explanation of the world, right? But then I realized maybe it's secret genius. Because if you ask him, how did you arrive at that conclusion of that I'm either Mossad or CIA? Well, by the time he's done answering, I'll have actually got to the front of the line, ordered, gotten my food, and I could leave. And I, the whole time I could just be like, uh-huh. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, you can you can always say, oh that, that's interesting. Oh, that, I hadn't quite thought about that. Yeah, oh sure. Oh okay. Yeah. And so you just sort of you know egg them on a little bit without sort of committing to agreeing with them. Um, but you know I have to say, and um, I've been on the other side of this, right? I mean there have been times where I've gone up to celebrities or famous people and sort of stalk them and, and ask them questions just because I think that's kind of cool. And most recently it was probably about three years ago. I was walking around uh, Manhattan. Um, and um, I'm trying to think, is it Jack Buck or Joe? I think it's Joe Buck, who's the son, who's a famous, you know, sports broadcaster, right? He's broadcast a lot of baseball games and football games and all that. And you know, not necessarily my cup of tea in terms of sports broadcasting, but just just to see him wandering around the street, I thought I'm going to go up and chat with him. Uh, so I, you know, I went up to him and said, uh, Joe Buck. He's like, yeah. I said, uh, my name's you know David Schuster and blah blah blah, and you know, big fan, and I'm also from the Midwest. And so, and he could not have been nicer. He stopped and I was wearing like an Indiana shirt where I grew up. And he's like, oh, Indiana. And he does the thing that you know you always do if you really wanna leave a great impression. And that is you touch somebody very lightly on their shoulder. And he does that and he holds the shirt and says, oh, Indiana, you know, I went to Indiana. And he said, you know, my daughter is going to Indiana. And that's where I, you know, I was in the voice school there, whatever it was. He could not have been nicer. And to me, 
just based on that, you know, two minute conversation. And, you know, I didn't come up with any crazy conspiracy theories about the NFL or Major League Baseball, though I have some of those. Um, but, you know, I just sort of let him go. But he, he could not have been nicer. And it totally, like, it's something that I will always remember that even if I don't like something that he's doing broadcast wise or whatever, and he gets a lot of criticism for how he calls games, I thought that guy was really nice. I mean, he didn't have to stop and talk to me and say, oh, Indiana, my daughter goes there. I mean, he was just, and to me, that like shows such a level of um, respect and shows what kind of person he is. And so I almost feel like in the same situation with this Alex Jones guy, to the extent that you say, oh, okay, that's really sort of interesting and thanks for chatting. And oh yeah, you know, something about that, just having, being willing to have that conversation, having a warm, pleasant interaction will stay with him a lot more and a lot longer than any theory that he has about whether you're Mossad or CIA. Yeah. So the problem is you can't say you you can't even joke like, duh, Mossad, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> he'll believe it to the his dying day. He'll say, oh, he told me, he told me himself, he told me himself, right? Well, in these days, everybody's got cameras, right? I mean, the guy might have those like glasses where he's recording things, and he comes up to you and he's like secretly recording, and the next thing you know, Jenk. Check you admits to being part of CIA or Mossad or whatever it is. And there's a video. Although, <laughs> although David, you just triggered another interesting idea. Maybe I should have said to him, Mossad, but don't tell anyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then what would have been hilarious is if like a couple of days later, uh, I get a, a call from Mossad. Okay? <laughs> Mossad's like, I didn't know you were part of our team. <laughs> and then I'm like, ah, oh, yes. Well, of course I am. What's our next plan? <laughs> Dave Kohler, have you, gone, have you stalked celebrities before? Have you gone up and like uh, gotten your picture with them before, or chatted with celebrities, or just well, sure, sure. Uh, not a lot. I mean, definitely though. Uh, most of, of my incidents, Jack was probably there for, uh, in attendance because he's the one who pointed out the celebrity in the first place. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, mean, I have one in particular we can talk about uh, in regards to Dave. So you know me, I have a million. I go up to celebrities and say awkward stuff all the time. So, but they, usually with me, uh, it's either super awkward or it turns out great. Like yeah. I saw Stan Lee at a diner when, when you know he was alive, obviously. To obviously, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is like 15 years ago or so. And I went and talked to him, and he was like, "Great, he was amenable." I'm like, "Hey, you want to come on our show that no one's heard of at the time?" And he's like, "Sure, but kiddo, why not?" And he came on the show. How awesome is that? That's okay. Awesome. So I have other uh, good stories like that. But Dave, uh, who's the guy on the plane? And I always get his name wrong. That we yeah, the Bush guy. Yeah, yeah. And we just told the story. I think on old school before uh, Dan. I want to say Bartlett. I'm not sure that's correct. He's a Bush administration official. Oh, yeah, I think it was yeah. Dan Bartlett. I think you, both you and I have forgotten the name. Have said that I certainly have said the name wrong in the past. But I okay, let's say that it's Dan Bartlett. <laughs> you remember what you said to him? Of course, I remember every minute of it. So we're Jenk and I were flying back. We we're in the airport flying back from the Republican National Convention. I guess 20, 2004. no, two thousand eight, and he was there in the uh, uh, waiting area for the plane. The lounge, whatever it's called. And he was on his cell phone. Jake and I saw him. We recognized him. And I said, one of us has to go up and say something to him. And I volunteered. And I walked up to him and I said, Dan Bartlett, uh, I, I think you and your administration did tremendous damage to this country. 
And he was on his phone like this and he and he nodded to me and said, hey. <laughs> and then I went back to Jenk and I said, yeah, Jenk, I told him, but I'm not sure you heard me. He was on his phone, not sure what happened. So as we were getting on the plane, we boarded a little later and he was already boarded, seated in first class. So Jenk went up to him uh, as we were walking down the aisle and said, Dan Bartlett, I think you and your administration did tremendous damage to this country and you shouldn't have let Dick Cheney roll all over you. <laughs> well, he said that afterward. But that guy, then he said, yeah, your friend told me that already. <laughs> uh -huh. And then Jenk dropped the Dick Cheney line on him. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That got him. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I have got to pull up. I'll have to find this photo and before then, an hour's out. So, uh, you know, probably like four or five years ago on the Amtrak, the sell up, we were on a train and, and Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey, was in the front. And I, this was at a time when my son, who at the time was, you know, he was a really, really chubby, fat kind of baby. And I thought, <laughs> my kid looks like Chris Christie. And so I decided I'm going to go get a picture of my son Zeke with Chris Christie. And uh, Kira, my wife, was like, don't do that, don't bother. I was like, no, no, no. So my daughter's like, I said, do you want to come? She's like, no, no, just, so I grab Zeke and I go up to the front uh, and I say, yeah, Governor Christie says, yeah. I said, would you mind taking a picture with my son, Zeke? And he's like, sure. He's like, hi, Zeke. And so there's the two of them, very blubbery, like, like doing goo goo gaga at each other. And I was laughing for days. I thought this was so funny. Uh, and he was, you know, Chris Christie could not have been nicer. And, you know, Zeke could have pooped his pants and Chris Christie would have been fine with it, I think. That's the kind of politician he is. Um, but I just thought this was hilarious. Yeah. Amazingly, I also ran into Chris Christie on an Amtrak train uh, from uh. DC to New Jersey. Uh, and I, I don't remember much about the interaction other than that it was pleasant. Um, yeah. And and sometimes look at a lot of times it works out perfectly fine because when I talk to people in the real world, um, there's not an audience that I have to convince, right? So if I'm talking to Chris Christie on air, uh, I've got to think of not just progressives and right wingers, but most importantly, independents. And I don't want Chris Christie tricking them into thinking that his policies are right or that he's a generally pleasant person. Because his policies are unpleasant, right? And it's my job to point that out and to suss that out and to make sure that the audience understands that. But when I'm in the real world and not on air, um, I have a completely different um, priority when I run into even Republican politicians, uh, but mainly into anyone really, which is get information, uh, ask them questions, you know, questions that are like, Anything that makes you sound crazed is, it's amazing that I have to clarify this. This is such a sign of the times that I have to clarify. Do not ask crazed questions. Yeah. Okay. Don't say crazed things. Those, that's not a good way to go. It's not a good look, right? And so I'll start out benign and then I'll draw them into a conversation and see if they say anything interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I will, I think I had a, like a five minute conversation with Chris Christie. I don't remember any part of it. Uh, but I remember I talked to Bobby Jindal at a White House mm. correspondence dinner. And I and we happened to have gotten into the room where you have dinner a little bit earlier than others. We wound up having a 20 minute conversation. Okay. Oh. And and when they're in person, by the way, not the Trump people, but the standard old Republicans are A, very pleasant, and yes. B, so reasonable in their back and forth that yeah. you realize, oh my God, everything they say on TV is an act. 
Like, like they don't believe any of the stuff they say. They'll say, well, I mean, I say that, but you know what I mean, I mean this. And I'm like, yeah, that's not at all what you said on air. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not close really. Um, but the, the story I've told uh, before is that uh, I had like a two hour dinner and how is this for ironic? That's why I remembered it with General Petraeus once who had just been the head of the CIA. So <laughs> Alex Jones, dude, apparently you have your answer. Okay, but but back then I was like, I don't know if you remember this day, but I was like, whoa, that was weird. Was that an accident? Was that a coincidence or was that not a coincidence? Because Michael Hastings, who was a TYT contributor and had broken the huge story on General McChrystal, had just died under really bizarre circumstances. And just like a month later or something, Petraeus shows up out of the blue at a restaurant I'm at and says, hey, you mind if I sit down? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> how is that for incredible coincidence? Wow. Right? And as it turned out, it was a coincidence because they it was at a resort where he his new private equity company, now it's all making sense. Uh, the company that he had joined as a private equity company was having a retreat. I was like, holy cow, it was a coincidence. That's <laughs> amazing. And he was nice, I assume. I mean, he was pleasant. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And, and David, you should do it all the time because here's the thing with, I mean, celebrities, sure, that's just fun stories, right? But, but with right wingers, more so too, because you'd be surprised what they tell you as long as you're knowledgeable. In my experience, when I talk to people in any way involved in politics or the news business, if you start saying things that lets them know this guy knows what he's talking about, they love it. Yeah. And and so as soon as I started talking to Petraeus about Kandahar, he's like, Can I sit down and get a beer? Mm. Okay. Turns out he's trying to run away from the private equity guys who are boring him to tears. And he found someone who actually understands foreign policy. But to this day, I mean I should have written this stuff down to be honest with you because I didn't I never said it on air because it was a private conversation. It was off the record. Uh, but he told me a lot of things about Dick Cheney, George Bush that I was honestly shocked by. Um, so okay, I guess when he passes away, I'll tell you some of them, whatever <laughs> I remember. Okay. Um I can I think I can summarize this way though. What I was most surprised by was how little he believed in. Like he didn't, Petraeus is generally considered right wing, a Republican, right? And he had very little faith or admiration for Bush or Cheney. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, I would not have guessed that. Um, so. Anyways, um, okay. Let me, let me I ask you to the extent you're willing to say, was it because uh, he felt that because Bush and Cheney had not served, they didn't sufficiently respect the military except for their neo-conservative hawk sort of use of the military to impose U.S. power, and perhaps didn't appreciate you know the actual the the boots on the ground, the, the actual soldiers behind this stuff. Yeah, nope. It didn't have to do with their service. It had to do with their uh, actions. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, all right, so look, if you let me, I could tell 2000 stories about my run-ins with celebrities. It will never get out <laughs> alive. Uh, bottom, by the way, just to finish the, the Alex Jones fan story, what I wound up doing is awkwardly just sitting there and and basically ignoring him because he started 
ranting and raving. And then everybody at the cafe was like, oh, like they're rolling their eyes. They're looking at me like, you okay? Like, yeah. what are we gonna do about this guy? But he starts cursing and like, oh, you know, we know what the uh, F is going on. And you think we don't know, we know you. And you do a stupid show. I was like, oh, what happened? I thought we were buddies like a minute ago, right? <laughs> um, but it just took like five minutes for him to finally leave after ranting and raving. And look, it's, it is a little bit of a scary world. There are folks who are anywhere from a little to a lot detached from reality. And they're all right next to us. And for if you're in the audience, good news for you, they don't know who you are. So they don't know to rant and rave against you, etc. But in my case, a lot of them do. So as soon as they see me, they're like, oh, that's the guy. Yeah. I'm gonna go make a beehive towards that guy. And I'm gonna figure out if it's, you know, Mossad or CIA or whatever else, right? Yeah. All right, Dave, uh, you had a couple of stories for us. I, I, I'm gonna update the audience a little bit later on, I've been trying to be on time to things. And what I did, there was four things I tried to be on time for. Did I go four for four, oh for four? I'm gonna fill you guys in on that in a little bit. But Dave, you had an AI topic, didn't you? Well, sure, I can do that. I'm gonna need to put my glasses on. So I don't know if you or in the audience have heard of this chat GPT, artificial intelligence uh, program that's out and people can test it. Anyone can, I can, you can, and, and it's supposed to be amazing. And you can ask it to, you know, to write a novel and it'll write a novel for you and it'll be really good. And what all talk show hosts are doing is they're asking it to uh, impersonate themselves, the talk show hosts, in the style of their conversation. So <clears throat> I did this. I have to start with the good news. Jenk and Ben. I thought Ben was going to be on today's show, so I picked Ben. Uh, you're still going to have jobs. The artificial <laughs> intelligence is not going to knock you, at, make you unemployed. So w what does it do to us? Is it telling us our future or no? No, it pretends it's you, and it. it so I ask that. Hey, ChatGPT, write me a little script as Jenk and Ben would have a discussion about food on old school. Oh, this is already fun. So I'll, I'm gonna read you a, a little bit of it. And if you want more, then you could give it. So this will be a, a Jenk and Ben, Jenk and then Ben again. And you're gonna see why I think you still have a job. So Jenk Uger, hey Ben, I know you're a big foodie. So I wanted to talk to you about something that's been on my mind lately. Sure thing, Jenk, what's up? Jenk, well, I've been thinking a lot about how much our society has changed when it comes to food. It seems like back in the day, people were much more connected to the food they ate. They grew it themselves or knew the people who did. But now it feels like most of us just go to the grocery store and buy whatever is convenient and cheap without giving much thought to where it came from or how it was produced. Ben Mankowitz, I definitely see what you're saying, Jenk, and I think it's a real shame. Food is such an important part of our lives and it's not just about sustenance, it's about culture, community, even art. And yet for so many people, it's just another item on the to-do list, something to be checked off as quickly and cheaply as possible. Well, the good news out of all this is apparently AI jank is way smarter than actual jank. Like, <laughs> it's like, way less interesting. Yeah, that's true. But more intellectual, like, oh well, let me tell you about the foraging society and juxtapose it to what's happening today. Uh, whereas I'm like, dude, pastrami out of pizza. 
Why hasn't anybody done it before? It's genius. And Ben Mankiewicz sees food as art. I mean, that's his main motivation. I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Now, can these can these chat boxes actually do it in Jen's voice and Ben's voice? I mean, not well. It's like, written text. Yeah. So. But we're getting to that point. We're we're close to the point, right, where they can do uh, voice simulation as well, right? I, I suppose, but that's not what I investigated in this investigative piece that I just <laughs> did. But this chat bot, I mean, this was terrible. But it's supposed to be. Everyone says it's amazing what it can do. I asked it how you treat tennis elbow, and it wasn't very helpful. So, Dave, do you think the chat box then instant chat bot? Sorry, chat box is differently. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it sounds interesting. Um, okay, but uh, do you think the chatbot grabbed our bios instantly and said, Jenk is known as a left winger, so he'll make some intellectual point about the origins of food and blah, blah, blah. And Ben does Turner Classic Movies, so he'll turn it into some sort of art thing. Good question. I poked around. I think it didn't grab your bios at all, actually, it didn't know who Cenk you and Ben Mankiewicz were, and it just had a conversation about food. Maybe well, at most it had some left-wing angle to it, at most. But it even says it's not up to date on news and politics. Uh, I, I got that out yeah. of it later. So, yeah, well, that's gonna make it tougher. A ask it if I'm Mossad or CIA. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, and but these chatbots are they just for like relatively famous people? I don't know what you mean by that. They like in terms of what they simulate the conversation. No, no, no. That that's what I did is I did it because all the other talk show hosts in the world are kind of doing it with their hosts. That's not what it's for. It's not to pretend you're someone else. It's to you know, you just type in. Tell me a little about the history of the Roman Empire, and it's going to give you a fantastic summary of the history of the Roman Empire. Huh. Uh, now, Wikipedia can do that too, but the chatbot will, you know, it'll get smarter and smarter and do more obscure topics, I suppose. And it, it, people have asked it to write plays and stories, and they come out really good, like like a real author wrote them. So. All right, so here's here's something that may be practical because I was just thinking of a video for tomorrow for Rebel HQ about Marjorie Taylor Greene and the lunatic stuff she said over the weekend in front of the New York Democrats saying that if she and Steve Bannon had been in charge of January 6th, it would have been successful and they would have been armed. If I said to the chat bot, um, give me a two and a half minute summary of the controversy, the historical controversy over Marjorie Taylor Greene and do it in a TV style script, would it spit it out? It would, but like I said, like it admitted, it's not good with current events. So uh, it might not be useful to you. Uh, that's interesting. So uh, it sounds like the main thing behind it then, now that I partly understand it, is that, so I asked for a history of the Roman Empire. It gives me a good explanation. Then I ask it questions, presumably. Yeah, but, you know, why did they turn on Julius Caesar? And then he could give me an, intelligent, accurate answer back. And so it feels like you're having a conversation rather than reading a book. I suspect it, so, yeah, yeah. I haven't played around with it that much, but but it, you know, more practical is give me a contract to rent out my apartment to somebody, you know, stuff like that. And, and then it gives you one? I think so, I think that's the idea. I don't know if it's doing that today, but that's the idea behind it. All right. And is it is it an app or or is it a website that you go Web, to? How does I did it on the website, Chat GPT? 
Mm-hmm. So I think at the uh, by the end, we we are going to be like the the pods in the Matrix, right? Like you got the self driving cars, you got these conversations with things that don't exist, and and it could copy you so well. My guess by the end, not necessarily today, that it doesn't even really quite need you. So eventually, you just wind up going to sleep on your couch. They connect a wire to the back of your neck, turn it into a pod, and we're off and running because all this stuff is meant to kind of run without humans. So, yay. (laughs) Well, that also gets to the philosophical debate that has sort of existed now for what, a couple of years. And that is there's this theory because of, you know, technology and how quickly things are advancing that all of us are merely part of a simulation. Uh, and the simulation is to determine whether or not human beings would actually, you know, destroy ourselves or not. Uh, that eventually the simulation is going to be taken over by the people who started the simulation to begin with, which are these robots, machines, artificial intelligence. And so there's sort of a no need for humanity anyway. Um, but anyway. Yeah. And so uh, I always want to ask those folks okay, if this is a simulation, what difference is it? Mm. So like, okay, uh, either God is running some sort of game and you have to pass the pop quiz that God is asking you, which is your life, right? Or it's aliens or it's a AI simulation. Well, either way, you feel the same way, you think the same way. So what difference does it make? Mm. Like it's it's just kind of tautological. Um, and so, like people think that's like a big revelation. Like, oh, imagine if we're in a simulation, and right, <laughs> right. Like, okay, then I guess we would do this in the simulation. But either way, they never tell you at the end. It's not like, ta-da! <laughs> it turns out you are behind door number three, right? So, if it's a simulation, you literally never find out. Uh, I got an idea. Why don't you enjoy life either way? Okay, and if it turns out I'm right, and at the end you got nothing, hey, well, at least you enjoyed life, isn't it? And if it turns out if it was a simulation, they're like, all right, human clone number 187, you have gone through the simulation, and we have calculated that you enjoyed life. Uh, Yeah, that's true, yeah, I did. Uh, Okay, and we are happy or unhappy with that. I don't care because I already enjoyed life. So it just, if you think about it for a second, it really doesn't matter at all. Um, And I got news for you guys. Uh, I figured it out. It's not a simulation. I've been saying this a couple of times. I don't want to belabor it, but the answer is actually super simple. We're just another species of ape. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Everything we do is exactly like apes. Except we're a little smarter. Ta-da. Do you think, guys, that there's a simulation that aliens or robots are running of raccoons in uh, on planet Earth? They're like, what do you think the raccoons are up to? Oh, this raccoon pissed off another raccoon. Oh, this raccoon was really good to the other raccoons, right? No, there's nobody doing that. Everybody knows that, right? Right, because they're goddamn raccoons. Who cares, right? Uh, that's exactly us. <laughs> they're goddamn homo sapiens. Who cares? 
Who cares if one of them pissed off Schuster and the other one didn't? Who cares if one's Mossad and the other one's CIA? Who cares? Why would anybody else care other than human? Well, then the question becomes, I mean, if you take this sort of logical artificial intelligence and where it's all going, uh, what is it they say about by, by 21, by 20, what year are we in? 2200 uh, or 2100, we're all gonna be, and essentially as to your point, we'll be sitting on our couches and we'll have our devices that sort of represent us they do all the work for us uh, and we just sort of sit around and enjoy life and everything else is, you know, are the point of humanity sort of is out the window because now we have all of these devices uh, that can do everything we would possibly need. Um, so, except that if, according to my theory that uh, some of my friends would hate, um, if you're not working, then uh, <clears throat> then are you really enjoying life? Um, like, yes, don't get me wrong. Give me a good Italian sub and a, and a football game or whatever it is and uh, sit on my couch. I'll have the time of my life, right? But if that's all I did, man, would I be bored. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, going out and doing something in the world isn't for necessarily for other people, although it can be, and that's great, and you should. Uh, but it should be mainly for you to go and do the thing that drives you so you could have more fun in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, uh, we'll, we'll come back to our afternoon after school special in a minute. <laughs> uh, okay, but I wanna read a bunch of comments and then go to the next topic. And a lot of these comments are fun. Uh, so first in our section, it, it meaning at TYT.com. Uh, Weird Al Dragonovich says, technically everything is a simulation. Your brain takes stimulus from your eyes, ears, etc., and creates a reality out of it. That is very true. And so in about 10 years, I'm gonna publish a book uh, that uh, goes into depth into what I'm talking about in, in the explanation of life. And uh, that's a huge part of it. A lot of what our mind shows us are illusions. Uh, that's not how the world actually is, it's how we perceive the world. All right, Chris Duran said, you met the InfoWars dude outside of a pot shop and he was pleasant. The moral of the story, the cure for QAnon is a lot of weed. <laughs> okay, now that could be one lesson you take out of it, Chris. The other lesson could be don't do a lot of weed because then you wind up being that guy. Uh, or perhaps the more logical conclusion, given that he and I are polar opposites, weed may be not really relevant in the equation. Um, so Stop Dragon says teachers are concerned about AI chatbots. Wife's school has already caught a couple of kids using it. So there, Dave, instantly kids found an application for it. Of course, homework. <laughs> right, trust me, um, anything that's created, a 13 year old boy can find an application for it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially on the internet. All right, Boomer Dragon Cat says, was getting ready to head to bed and remembered old school. My favorite irreverent show of all time. Well, that's very lovely of you, thank you. Um, Velvet Goldmine says, I love tonight's old school panel. I really miss Friday uh, post games with the three amigos. So I'm excited to see Dave Kohler. All right, good Dave yeah. Kohler shout out. Uh, Move and Death just subscribed. Uh, Princess Chi Chi in a bikini, which is a very intriguing name, said, uh, men don't get the same amount of random unwanted dudes trying to talk to them while they're just living their life trying to get stuff done. They don't have as many tactics to get out. Mm -hmm. um, so first of all, you're right, it's uh, if you are a, a woman, you are going to get talked to a lot more than if you're a guy. Um, so that's an interesting different perspective that as a guy, honestly, not only do I not often think about, but even the midst of this conversation, I totally forgot about. 
you're you're right. Like before I got any degree of fame or whatever, I always hesitate in saying that because it's so, you know relatively uh, small. Um, yeah, approximately zero people came up and talked to me. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they? On the other hand, if you know, if I had an attractive girlfriend, in which I was from time to time lucky enough to have, they got talked to all the time, and not 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 because they were Mossad. <laughs> well, um, maybe it's somebody's fantasy. You never know. Well, yeah, that's a whole different thing. I don't. Want, <laughs> so that's up to them. <laughs> uh, all right, on YouTube members, uh, progressive boomers and American hero because they just gifted five Young Turks memberships. Becca Wolf, I like this comment the most. Uh, love being a member after 20 years listening to Anna. Long road, but I'm here. Um, so Anna, thank you for getting people to turn on to old school. Uh, <laughs> become members overall. Um, James Smith with a lovely comment, uh, love you all. James, right back at you, brother. Uh, and Jarl Axel says, Alex Jones will take advantage of anyone to sell his pills. His audience may need counseling. I don't know that there's a single person in the Alex Jones audience that doesn't need counseling. I'm being very literal about it. I don't know that you could listen to Alex Jones and think, "Oh, he nailed it," and and you're actually a mentally functioning human being. It's definitely possible, but it would be surprising. I mean, are there? And that's the thing, guys. Though I'm probably wrong, right? There's probably tons of accountants and dentists in the uh, Alex Jones audience, and you know they believe whatever conspiracy theories, but they function perfectly well as a dentist. On the other hand, would you want to go to a dentist that watches the Alex Jones show? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I, want to know. I mean, while well, the guy's removing my teeth, huh, so what do you watch? Oh, I'm a, I love Alex Jones. It's my little secret. Um, oh, really? Okay. Um, and you get the dental hygienist in right now. <laughs> I'm out of here. Um, yeah, I, you know, and that's the thing. I, I mean, I suppose it's like anything. There are people who have their own sort of, you know, little guilty pleasures or fetish or whatever it is that they sort of keep locked away in their little tiny part of it. And they're able to function normally and seem perfectly normal to everybody else. But they have their hour a day they listen to Alex Jones or used to be the Rush Limbaugh folks or the people, you know. And I think some of them do it because it's mildly entertaining and they like being part of this counter establishment genre and sort of feel like they're getting away with something. But um. yeah, yeah, I think that comment of like, they're almost getting away with something. Yeah, it feels taboo. It feels like yeah. almost like uh, illicit uh, to watch or listen to something that you're not supposed to watch or listen to. Um, it, the only thing that it hasn't worked on is TYT. So plenty of people <laughs> watch us for like normal reasons, but mainstream media hates us. But then I never get like a like CNN told me not to listen to you guys, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that that hasn't happened yet, so we haven't gotten the fun upside of that. All right, let me tell you guys about the experiments in my life. Um, I talked on last old school about how I was going to try to be early because I did it once and it felt great, and I thought, why not? You know, uh, so. And there is a real answer for why not, which is, um, well, it you know if you're early, it's a little inefficient, and I have so many things to do that I can't really afford to be inefficient, right? But you know, look, dude, I got a phone; I can just do seven thousand things that I need to do on a phone. Uh, so I was like, okay, I'm going to try to uh, be early to things, and um, 
out of the four things that I tried to be early to, uh, so a quick fun guessing game here. How many uh, of those were I was I on time to, Dave and Dave? What's the time frame you're talking about? I missed a day or in, a week? No, in about a week. Uh, so I was trying to be early or on time to four things of those uh, in the span of about a week. Um, how many was I actually on time for? Well, I I'd say one. You're you're not good at that. <laughs> but you're good Both. at trying. So wow. wow. Um. Given that this has become a, a priority lately, I'm going to say that uh, you you upped your game and you were on time to three. All right, both good guesses with good answers. Correct answer. Apparently, Dave knows me well. One. Uh, okay. So, but to be fair to me, okay, it really should have been two uh, at a at a minimum. Okay. Uh, the others, blah, 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 blah. No, the fourth one, I was so late, it's 100% my fault. So the three is the max uh, I, I could have gotten. Um, so one, I, I was going to meet a bunch of other people from TYT. And uh, and my GPS, I was supposed to arrive at 8.30. And my GPS said that I was gonna arrive at 8.22. I was gonna be eight minutes early. And I thought to myself, I'm a brag on old school about this, okay? And I was like, well, you know what? <coughs> Should I do something else with the eight minutes? Should I stop somewhere else before? I'm like, no, 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 no. Just take the win, go do it, and then brag on old school. So it's, it's a double win, okay? Um, and I go, and the 405 entrance, that's the main highway in LA, closed. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, come on, man, okay? And when the 405 interest you use is closed, if you live in LA, you already know. Okay, it's, I'm screwed. And then I put it into the GPS, like, okay, get me another way. But except I don't know how to say another way. So no matter where I go, the GPS tells me to go back to that goddamn same entrance, right? I'm like, ah! I'm like, okay, I know a different 405 entrance. And I drive all the way up there. Now it's already like probably 30 at that point, right? And I get there and it's like the GPS is like, don't take it, don't take it. It's taking me 18 other routes, like, okay. And I finally even take it, and then it says, get off to 405. And I realized as soon as I got on there that the 405 is totally jammed. And so I don't know if there was an accident or something that caused both of the problems. Anyways, bottom line is I, I get out, I somehow miraculously find another way. I have to go old school, Luke Skywalker, like, oh, I'm gonna use the force. I hope it, I can get onto this. Get to this goddamn diner without the GPS. Anyways, uh, 8.45, I was 15 minutes late. Mm -hmm. um, so look. I, I think you should get intentions. a pass though. I mean, generally, I think everybody should get a pass when it comes to something that is so out of your control like traffic. I mean, everybody has been there where you're stuck in a traffic jam and, and that's why you're late. Um, if it's something like, you know, you're in your house and you promise your you know partner you're gonna be up at dinner at six o'clock, okay. Be up at dinner at six o'clock. That's a sign of respect, and all you have to do is you know walk over there. Uh, if it's something that's out of your control, though, um, I think that's where it's fine to give give people a little bit of slack. But you know, I used to I had a coach uh, many years ago who said uh, who drilled into to me. He said, you know, um, early is on time and on time is late, uh, and that was like that's how he lived his life. Um, and you know, there's a certain sort of respect to people who are able to sort of pull that off. Who are so sort of precise in their military style timing. Uh, and they consider it a matter of respect to themselves and to other people that they show up on time 
never late. Um, but I'm like you, Jack. I mean, there were many times where I would cut it so close to getting to airplanes and dashing through airports. And I had, you know, friends who it would drive them crazy. Like, can't you just show up a little bit early? I'm like, why? And this is, you know, before the, you know, smartphones and iPhones. And what am I going to do in an airport for 15 minutes while I'm sitting around? I'd rather have that 15 minutes at home to do something and then dash through the airport. Yeah. So I totally agree. In fact, I wrote in my notes, I don't remember this part of though. Apparently, the first thing I was late to, I wrote, thank God I was late. <laughs> so I don't know what it was. I don't know if the other person was late or, or what it was, but so apparently sometimes it works out. But uh, so those same TYT guys that I went and, and had uh, uh, breakfast with at that diner, uh, they text me later. They're the exact opposite, and they're probably listening right now. Uh, is they got to the airport at 4:50 p.m. They texted me like a beep went off on my phone, but I was watching football or something. I didn't pay attention to it. And then I came back to it like you know in the middle of the night, and. And it was Aaron uh, who, from our principal office, and he said, "Oh, we're here for a flight that leaves." He's like, "Mike's the opposite of you. That's the guy he's, he's traveling with." He said, "The flight leaves at 9:30." And I was like, "What? Wow. You guys got there at 4:50 for a 9:30 flight? Like, did you want to catch a movie at the airport first? <laughs> what did you?" That's insane. I'd rather be yeah. late to everything in my life from here on out yeah. than be that early for anything. Yeah. Okay. By the way, I then was texting him that in the middle of the night and realized, oh my God, they're still in LA. They hadn't taken off. <laughs> <laughs> so I was texting him at like 9:25, and I'm like, holy cow, you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, apparently it's a balancing act. I'll have more lessons for you guys after more experiments. But meanwhile, when we come back in the next bonus episode for the members, I had a manly barbershop experience that I want to tell you about. And and then do you ever feel shame about a news story? Hmm, I wonder what that means. Let's find out in the next episode. That's just for the members, so tyt.com slash join, or if you're on YouTube right now, hit the join button below, and you've got more of this uh, chitter chatter coming your way. All right, back on old school, uh, Jake, you were Dave Kohler and David Schuster with you guys. Um, All right, fun, awkward story for you guys, uh, not about celebrities. So, I uh, go to this fancy place uh, for dinner because it's uh, my anniversary with my wife. So I'm taking her to a nice place and uh, and there's a doorman there. And so the doorman opens the door and he's smiling broadly at me and nods. Like, and I've seen that nod a hundred times, right? Uh, and it means like, I watch TYT, I know who you are, right? And And I was like, well, that's very nice. So then I came back out. And uh, after the dinner, and he does the same thing, and he's like, "Hey," and I was like, "All right, you know what? We got a minute. They're gonna pull up our car." I said, "So, what's your name, brother?" Uh, and he's like, "Malcolm, why? What's your name?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Wow. Embarrassing. So, was he hitting on you? <laughs> no, he was just being a polite doorman. That's so all. I totally misread it. <laughs> I'm not used to doormen. Apparently, they're nice. They smile at you and nod. 
<laughs> well, but I do have that happen from time to time. It's my wife's favorite thing in the world. When they're like, oh, can you take a picture? And I'm like, all right. And then they hand me their phone. And they mean like take a picture of them in front of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, sometimes I'll go on vacation. Well, it could be for another reason. And I'll miss a story, right? Um, and then I have great shame about it. Um, and I always think like, am I gonna get caught? Am I gonna get caught? In fact, I have a story like that right now. And it's gonna shock you guys. But I was wondering if this is a phenomenon. So Schuster, do you ever uh, know that you're missing a story and feel mm. secretly shamed about it? Uh, do I feel shame? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I might feel guilt that, oh my God, I'm about to have to talk about a story that I don't know anything about it. So I'm just gonna have to hear JR or whoever it is sort of describe what it is and then I'll react to it. And then usually I can sort of tie in some sort of life experience to add something new. But um, I usually don't feel, I don't say I feel shame. Um, the only, I mean, my anxiety is Jenker actually more and I've had this recurring dream that I can't find my car. Like I'll park the car and I can't find it. And I've had that dream over and over for the last couple of weeks. So that's like a whole different, but as far as feeling shame about missing a story, I don't, I mean, there's so many different platforms and so many different ways that we hear about information now. I feel like if it's really important, if it's a big enough story, I'm gonna hear about it eventually. Okay, so I, it's funny, I have a slightly different experience. Um, so this story that I uh, right now have not, let, maybe I'm not explaining it right too. Like I have, so I'll spit it out. I have not caught up on the, Twitter Hunter Biden hiding shadow banning story. I, I literally tell you what. Um, <laughs> go ahead. I'll tell you what, because it's because it's a nothing burger. Because at the end of the day, it's Elon Musk and Matt Taibbi coordinating together so that Matt can write this, you know, Twitter file story about how Elon Musk was somehow helping the Democrats um, in the 2020 election by suppressing some embarrassing things about Hunter Biden, like you know the the New York Post story or the the salacious photographs of Hunter Biden. Even though Matt Taibbi also found that hey, Donald Trump was getting Twitter to suppress certain things about him. So, and oh by the way, if you know if the whole topic is oh by the way, Hunter Biden's laptop, as we've gone through and as you know from reporting on it, there's nothing there. It's just you know Hunter Biden was on a bunch of boards and. Maybe he didn't pay his taxes and maybe he didn't register a gun and that's all they've got on him. But there's you know nothing about his interactions with these Chinese businesses or these Ukrainian businesses that suggested anything other than the sort of normal texts and emails about being on a board. So the underlying story, Hunter Biden's laptop is a nothing. And this idea that Twitter was somehow helping the Biden campaign by not putting out stories about, I mean, so what? Who cares? So you're not missing anything. No, I figured, and that's why it was like the last story on my list, right? Because I'm like, I need to try to bring stories as drudgery because I have to go and figure out what they're lying about, how to debunk it, you know, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a homework project. You're not going to learn anything. All you're going to do is, you know, figure out a way again to just knock down BS. I would say out of 20, uh, right wing stories that they're outraged about. 
in my experience, one and a half of them are true. The other 18 and a half are at this point purely fictional. Whereas when I was growing up, forget growing up, even 20 years ago, um, I would say that the right wing, like if the right wing was outraged by something, it was probably like overblown, not exactly right, but not made up out of whole cloth. Yeah. Right. That that I would say 18 out of 20 stories were legitimate. You could disagree with them, and I did, but they're perfectly legitimate stories. Yeah. Now, if I see a right wing scoop or exclusive or some story they're pushing, I, I, there's a 98% chance it's bullshit. So then, then it turns into a homework assignment of how to debunk the bullshit instead of actually learning something. I'd much rather read a story where I learned something. Uh, so I mean, when you have Hunter Biden plus Elon Musk plus Twitter, you know that story is going to be 212% bullshit, right? And so, but nonetheless, like, and we don't have it on our rundown. And so I'm not talking on air about it without knowing what it is. I, you know, I wouldn't do that, but, um, but I still feel guilty that I don't know it. It feels like it's a major story and I feel like I have a responsibility to know every so-called major story. And that's why I feel like if I don't know it and I'm walking around in the world, that's like a shame. So is that just me and my stupid conscience? Well, look, I mean, I think part of what drives you to be who you are and to be as successful as you are is that you're conscientious about staying on top of so much stuff that is out there and being able to be the source of information for you know people to tune in because people don't have time to stay on top of the you know Elon Musk, uh, Hunter Biden Twitter file. So they're going to turn on TYT to get the, the summary of what's important. So yeah, I, I think that feeling that sort of sense of shame or embarrassment that you're not staying on top of it, I think that's more about you than about anything else. But you know, all of this is junk. One memory that I've had over the past couple of weeks about something that I did feel shame for about a new story. And that was, for whatever reason, um, and you know, a couple of years ago, I was doing a lot of stuff on Yemen and uh, you know, the famine in Yemen and the proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia, whatever. I had a brain fart two weeks ago and I could not remember the name Yemen. And I don't know if it was just like, am I tired? Am I exhausted? What's going on? How horrible. And that's where I actually felt shame. Like, oh my God, this is. You know, the poorest country in the Middle East, people are starving and, and and I can't remember the name of their country. Now, I think that was more about, you know, me and whatever sort of psychosis I was going through at the time. But that was that was shame. Uh, that was feeling, wow, I'm embarrassed. Uh, not knowing about you. Hunter Biden and, and, you know, Elon Musk and Matt Taibbi's Twitter files, um, you know, I, you can take a pass on that one. Yeah, that's so sad too, because first of all, yours is just a brain fart. It's no big deal. That happens all the time. Um, but uh, what's a shame about that whole thing is that now when I see Taibi, I think, oh, in the old days, like if you saw Taibi had written a piece, you were like, I was excited. I was like, oh, this yeah. is gonna be good. Yeah. Like he, because he would spend time on it, he would figure it out, he would have interesting revelations that other people didn't have, he would write about it honestly. And now when I see, Taibi's written a piece. I'm like, oh boy, what nonsense do we have now? Um, to have lost all these good people, man. But I, I, I don't. To be fair to Taibi, I know a lot less about him than I do about Greenwald and the other clowns. 
Um, so I don't know. Did he? So since I don't know that story, and you do, uh, David, uh, did he write it fair or was it just? Well, I mean, to be clear, I would say I don't know as much about it as a lot of other people. Um, I read, you know, it was like a string of tweets, like 40 some tweets. Uh, and he put a little bit of information in each tweet. And then Elon Musk, you know, re- retweeted the, the string. Um, and maybe there was an article version of it as well. And yeah, I mean, he didn't seem to sort of sensationalize anything. It didn't seem like he took any liberty with the facts. It just felt like, but the facts are, so what? So a presidential campaign calls a social media platform and says, you know what? I'd really like if you don't put out these, if you don't publish these stories that have naked pictures of my son doing crap or whatever it was that he was doing. Um, you know, where I was disappointed in Matt Taibbi's, you know, given that he had clear evidence that Donald Trump was also asking Twitter to hold certain things. Well, why not do a little deeper dive into what's the actual government? asking Twitter to withhold as opposed to somebody who's simply in a presidential campaign. So, you know, I thought Matt Tybee's stuff was, it was a little bit weird given that it was in the sort of thread of tweets. I thought the um, the the sort of the partnership with Elon Musk uh, is really strange and ethically problematic on all sorts of levels. But, you know, I don't think it was a horrible piece by Matt Taibbi and I don't think anybody's gonna say, oh my God, Matt Taibbi got something wrong. I just thought like, it'd be like saying, oh, let's do a big takeout on we just had three inches of snow here in Connecticut. Let's make it something more than the fact that it was three inches of snow. Let's talk about all the schools that were delayed by two hours. And let's talk about how the power lines and you know, and, and no, it's it's just three inches of snow and life is sort of going on and it happens all the time. Um, so it just felt like it was really taking this sort of out of context to feed uh, and to help conservatives who wanna amplify the Hunter Biden stuff capacity and to say all oh, the media is biased against conservatives and against Donald Trump because look at the collusion between the Biden campaign and Twitter. Who cares? <laughs> it's probably the most uh, fair description of that story. Um, you know, if you ever ask people and we do and you do it, David, like, hey, what do you think? And I've seen you do it. Uh, at the Trump rallies, like, hey, what do you think is the Hunter Biden problem? They'll say both, oh, I mean, we're not interested in that he's doing crack uh, or <laughs> or whatever it is. And then you're like, okay, then then what is problematic? They're like, well, did you see the kind of drugs he was doing? You're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I thought I thought that was a thing we didn't care about. Um, so, anyways. Um, Okay, so you had that dream about how you can't find your car. Um, I used to have this recurring dream, and this is really, really good news about uh, my uh, state of mind, apparently. I used to have this terrible dream, uh, and I I would have it like right after I fell asleep, like five minutes after I fell asleep, and then I'd wake up in like terror about 10, 15, 20 minutes after I fell asleep. Um, And it would be me driving a car, uh, except I couldn't move my body. Uh, and I'd be like, "Oh no, I'm driving, but I can't move. We're gonna crash. We're gonna crash. We're gonna crash. I can't move, right?" And I then the rest of the dream is me trying to move, desperately trying to move to get control of the steering wheel. You don't need to be, you know, Sigmund Freud to figure out that dream. Uh, okay, I felt like I wasn't in control of my own life. Right, 
And um, and now I'm happy to report I don't have that dream anymore. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> okay, problem solved. I can drive in my dreams. So <laughs> these are the little ones you got to be happy about. Well, uh, I mean, I I keep thinking maybe this is some PTSD because I think that well, I don't know, it was maybe like eight weeks ago, where um I took the car someplace. I don't know, maybe it's even longer than that, but I you know I parked the car. Um, and I think it was Laguardia Airport parking and garage, and I literally could not remember what level, what deck, what letter. And I'm thinking, oh my god, there's like seven levels. There's 25 letters to each. I mean, how on earth am I going to possibly find this car? And so I was walking around and walking around and walking around and, you know, clicking the thing. And, and eventually I was able to figure it out. Well, you know, I was really pissed at myself, like, stupid idiot. Why don't you just write down the parking space like most people do on their ticket? And that way you don't have. But I was in such a hurry when I dropped off the car, I didn't think about it. Well, you know, I. And then I'm thinking, oh, am I, you know, am I getting senile? Have I got amnesia? Is this early, you know, early stage, whatever? My mind is going, and and so then I think, well, maybe it's a combination of that, like some sort of, you know, traumatic stress from not being actually able to find the car. To, you know, there were times when I, when I was very young in my 20s, where I got a car, and the way I got rid of it was I just left it on the street, so that people in D.C. could just like tow it away because it didn't work anymore. It's like a Ford Escort that I bought at an auction for 400 bucks, and the engine gave out, and I thought, well, the easiest way back in those days when they couldn't really trace. You know, they took a car away. It's not like they would say, "Okay, you've got now a thousand dollars in fines you have to pay in order to get a license." It didn't operate that way in D.C. So I thought this is the easiest way to get rid of this car. Um, but then again, That's a funny story, man. <laughs> okay, I never heard that before. That's fun. I mean, you probably shouldn't have done that, <laughs> but. Uh, but I, no, I remember I, I just I took all the value when I knew the car wasn't working anymore. I took the license plates off of it. I got all the things out of the car that might you know have any sort of value or anything like that. And I just left it knowing full well they would tow the car and take it to the you know Blue Plains yard and it would you know go up for auction. Somebody else would buy it and realize it doesn't work. That's super interesting because what you were weaponizing there was police indifference. Yeah. Because they're, you're right. You take those. I didn't even think about the license plate. You take the license plates off. There is approximately a zero percent chance that any cop's gonna try to figure out who left that car there and why. Yeah. I mean, they won't figure out normal crimes. You think they're gonna <laughs> figure that crime out? No. It's not even a crime. It's like who cares? So, I bet you'd still get away with it today. Like easy. Yeah, but but as a result, though, I think that sort of blend plays in a little bit to sort of the stress of okay, because I'm sure there was a time in my life where I thought, okay, do I have a car? Oh no, I gave that car away. Now I have this car, and at one point I owned two cars, and I gave one car to a girlfriend, and so something about you know not being able to keep track of the cars, and now it's you know whether it's a midlife crisis and not sure where I parked. Who knows? Oh, for sure, it's definitely has something to do with that, but I. But what I got out of the story and what I enjoyed about this story is that I like how you traded cars back in the day like they were baseball cards. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I see, I got two cars. I don't know what to do with the other one. Here, you take one. I'm going to leave one in the streets of DC and grab a third one. Like, you're buying cars for like 200 bucks a pop. I don't know who you're, <laughs> you're getting these cars. I'm getting even better because back then, so this would be early 90s, um, you know, if you failed an emissions test in DC, they would put a bright red sticker on your windshield and you had 60 days. 
to get your emissions. Well, the car that I bought at the auction had so much crap wrong with it. There's no way that. So I thought, hmm, well, what I can do is I can just scrape off the red sticker. And that way, you know, nobody's going to notice that I have a car that got rejected from the emissions. And so that that's how I solved my emissions problem. <laughs> I, I, I also had an emissions problem. I also solved it. I'm also not proud of it. Uh, Okay, <laughs> but it is what it is. All right, Dave, you had a, another topic, didn't you? No, I did not. I thought you did. I thought we had the other one from the other than the chat. Oh yeah. Well, speaking of yeah, I, I thought we covered. We of course we didn't cover. It. Yes, I do have another topic. Uh, I read today how uh, with uh, all the electric vehicles coming on the market, they're not including AM radios anymore, and people are starting to think that might be the end of <laughs> AM radio. In cars for sure, and then where else do you listen to AM radio? And then what that means for society and AM radio, and all that it's done for so many people and talk shows, and who else should but better to talk about this than a couple of talk show hosts? And the whole reason I went to TYT is because I like talk shows, which were AM back then. And if there were any good ones, I would still like them on the radio, but they're, they're so hard to find. So uh, the demise of AM radio would be a very sad moment in uh, and transformation in society. Yeah, agree to disagree. <laughs> okay, and that's coming from a guy who partly made a living, but did I? <laughs> okay, if you could call it a living on AM radio for some time in my life. Um, no, AM radio is cesspool and useless. Uh, that its demise will be missed by. About 17 people uh, who are all in their late 70s. And so other than you, I'm not sure that anybody else is gonna miss it outside of a senior citizen. Center. Well, you look at AM radio and see what it is. I look at AM radio and see what it could be. And it yeah, could be it could great. be dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you mean great? Dang, what, 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 what was your favorite talk? I mean, what kind of talk shows did you listen to back in the day on AM radio or even now? Well. What other kind of sports and politics? Right. But I actually, and politics were a slightly right wing even when I was listening to it, but I could take it. But I even listened a little bit to Larry King's talk show before he went to CNN, and it wasn't bad. It was kind of, you're just chilling out and you're listening to a guy. He's a very friendly, talkative guy. He feels like he's in your, you know, in your apartment talking to you. So I listened to that a little bit. That's the kind of talk show. That, that I would have liked on AM radio and did like. But is there any, a single interesting person that right now is thinking, boy, I'd really like to start an AM show as opposed to, boy, I'd really like to start a podcast? Well, right. No, right. there's I, no one. No one, right? Absolutely. Like the number is literally zero. Um, so, like the future of AM is. Absolutely nothing. So, oh, like, I get it, but I, I, I like what it could be. It could have a bunch of talk shows, not all owned by some giant network like Clear Channel, all saying the same right wing propaganda. But it, 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 AM could be full of unique, authentic individual hosts, each doing his or her own show. 
I mean, it's uh, it's a world that doesn't exist anymore. It's or, like or broadcast podcasts on AM. I mean, I would be thrilled if I could know that I go to 660 AM, whatever, and I'm going to get following types of podcasts and it's going to be selected for me based on my interests. I think that would be that'd be cool uh, because it's a lot easier than for me than trying to figure out how to download and put them in the right order and how am I going to listen to them with my earbuds and when I'm driving, I don't want to have earbuds. So sure, I'd love to be able to tune on the radio and listen to a podcast which I probably could anyway <laughs> with the cars these no, days. No, but that's that's what I was gonna say. So Dave, like the reason why there aren't all those different interesting, unique AM shows is because they're not financially viable. Uh, the market is too niche even for AM and so they can't make it work. Um, but in the podcasting world, who cares that it's not economically viable? Nothing's economically viable. So people do it anyway. So don't you have your dream AM situation, but on podcasts where you could find almost any niche uh, that people want to talk about? Yeah, there's something, and I'm the one who has to get over it, but there's something nice about tuning into the radio and not knowing what the coast is gonna talk about that day and being a live experience with the podcast. Yeah, I, I like podcasts, I listen to them, but. You got to make sure you start at the beginning and you got to listen to the whole way through. It's a little stressful. <laughs> Tune into the AM radio when you start your long drive and you listen. And then when you get there, you stop. And yeah, that sucks because you might be talking about something interesting, but they'll repeat it the next day anyway. So yeah, I, I'm not making a good case for it. And that's why AM radio is dying. But uh, there's a nostalgic but I, I, element. I like your point about a live experience. Did you ever call in to any of these talk shows? You're Maybe once, and I don't remember what I talked about. Yeah, but no, I was not a regular caller. Yeah. I was not You're, Dave from New Jersey calling in every day, no. <laughs> so you, you were long time, first time. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Long time, first time, only time. Yeah. Uh, so Dave, uh, Favorite AM show of all time? Uh, you're putting me on, you know, I, you'd think I would have an answer to that after I gave this long, you know, uh, honor, honor, you know, commemoration of AM radio, but uh, no, I don't, I can't think of one. Uh, what did you listen to more on AM radio, Young Turks or Dave Ramsey show? But Young Turks. I listened to Dave Ramsey's show once and I got it. I, I didn't need to, you know, <laughs> get rid of your credit cards and give some money to God. That's solution to all the problems. Yeah. Uh, okay, you were thinking of financial show. Maybe you keep the portion you were going to give to God. Yeah. Because that, but then maybe you wouldn't have to rip up your credit cards. Like the other day, somebody that was in a news story. Oh, is it like a poor woman who got foreclosed on or something? So I couldn't make a joke about it. But she's like, I don't understand. I did everything right. I tied the church. And I was like, well, that might be your answer if you just paid the $75 fine instead of tithing. Probably wouldn't have lost the house. Uh, but, anyways, but that's it. Not really true. And she didn't know. And that poor lady. But, but you know, Jack, you're kind of like this. Like, if you have a favorite talk show host and it's on AM radio and it's live, you can just listen to it when you can listen to it and not listen to it when you can. If you have a podcast, you bring it up on your phone and you look and you say, oh, I wanna listen to that episode and that episode and that episode and that one from 17 months ago. How am I ever gonna catch up on all that? Ah, forget 
<laughs> well, first of all, I'm not going to put my phone up to the screen like you did. That's a rookie move because that's that every time anybody puts their phone to the screen, I always remember Alex Jones putting it out here. I'll put the back of it, right? And he's like, like yeah. And he's like, okay, listen, look at this, what I got on the phone right here. And then it like transporn popped up. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, really? I mean, you're that on the nose <laughs> that of all the porn, it's trans porn. And the one time you put your phone up, it pops up immediately. It's like out of a freaking movie, right? It's like, oh, that gets ghost. That's on everybody's phone. Is it? Is it, Alex? Uh, anyways, but Dave, you're even more correct than you know. Instead, this is what happens with me in the podcast. I'm like, okay, Anna suggested that I watch this thing okay, or listen to this thing. And I'm like, all right. And I get the phone. And I fumble around trying to find it. It takes longer than 15 seconds. I'm like, ah, fuck. And then Th that's I different. <laughs> Assume you can find it. I, I can navigate my way around podcasts, but then I want to listen to all 89 hours that this person has done, and you can't. You know, my sadness over the death of AM radio will have to do with uh, my childhood because I would listen to baseball games at night and I would fall asleep with my there little radio and I listened to 760 AM WJR or I'd listen to the St. Louis Cardinals and I would sing along with the Bush beer commercials, which I love. And it was such like a relaxing part and a happy memory. And I always associated that with summer, you falling asleep in the spring or the fall to a, to a baseball game. Yeah, uh, yeah and I sort true. of wonder, you know, but, well, kids don't have that opportunity now, really. But baseball kind of died long before AM radio did. Right. So, so um, you guys will appreciate this. Anybody from the East Coast, uh, or just not the West Coast, basically, uh, and that is anywhere near our age range. Um, the my. The minute you said it, David, it reminded me of something else. My fondest memory of AM radio was now school closings. <laughs> <laughs> Piscataway closed. <laughs> Saraville closed. Actually, they would say, here are the schools that are closed, and they would read them to you in order. And you're waiting for East Brunswick. You're waiting for East mm. Brunswick on that snow day, right? And then when he gets to the part where he's gonna say he's Brunswick and he skips over it, you're like, no. <laughs> and when he says he's Brunswick, you're like, yes. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go back to sleep. And then you get back into bed and you're like, I can't sleep. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so God bless AM radio. Okay, yeah. hey, Sierra, I'll tell you a fun uh, old old timey story about AM radio. So back in the day, I used to, oh my God, I have two amazing stories. In fact, one is for the folks who haven't heard the story, it's a, a super fun story. Um, uh, so I used to go to talk show host conferences all the time because I was trying to be a radio talk show host. The people who were at those conferences almost all worked in AM radio and they all wanted to be Rush Limbaugh, it was really annoying. And then there was this guy who was like a legendary old time host. Is it Bruce Williams, Dave, that did? Uh, I think that is one of the old time AM guys, yeah. Yeah, Bruce Williams. And he was already, now at that point, I'm in my 20s and he's in his 70s, I think. And he, and and I engaged him in a conversation and he was actually very nice. He Almost everybody, and I believe in, including him uh, on AM radio is right wing, right? So, but he, very pleasant in person. And by the way, at that time, I'm still a Republican, right? So, but by the, but also by the way, when I go to those conferences, I'm like, I hate everyone here. <laughs> like, like it, 
like I, maybe I'm I'm like I'm not this kind of Republican. These guys are total douches. Jesus, they're these guys are nuts, <laughs> right? And so um, anyway, I go to Bruce Williams. Anytime I'm talking to any of them, I'm a little uh, reticent because I'm like I don't know. They may might turn out to be crazy, but and also in his case, he's um, like I said, at least in that line of work, was a little bit legendary. And as it turned out, he uh, I found out in the conversation with him that he used to work at in the New Brunswick station. As I was growing up in East Brunswick, he's the one that would do the school closing. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's unbelievable. I've met my hero <laughs> and the guy I looked up to. Anyways, uh, and then I asked him for advice. I said, look, here's the thing, right? I I send these tapes in and you know I never hear anything back. And I do follow-ups, but I don't want to do too many follow-ups because then you look like a weirdo stalker. And I just don't know what the balancing act is, right? How do I balance this? And and Bruce Williams said to me, um, so why are you reluctant to follow up many times? I said, well, look, you know, I don't want to burn my bridges. And he said, kid, what fucking bridges do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was actually one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten. And there it was from a right winger. Look at that. Okay, we're all bipartisan <laughs> today. And he was right. And and what and I took his advice. And one of the things I did was I went to uh WWRC 980 AM in DC. David, you might remember it. Mm -hmm. And uh and I took Bruce Williams' advice. I went there and I said, look, I'm just gonna stay here until the program director comes out. I don't Care how many hours or how many days it takes, which is by the way the same thing Larry King did in mm -hmm. order to break in. So it's kind of a radio thing. It's kind of an AM radio thing to get a job that way. They kind of respect you more if you do that. Um, so and my dad loved it. He's like, you know, he's an immigrant dad, so he's like, you go there, you sweep the floors, you got to do whatever <laughs> you need to do to get the job. Okay, so I came with a broom and I said, all right, I'm going to stay here. And then lo and behold, yeah. Some the program director came out after I don't remember how many hours, two, three, four hours. And he's like, "All right, kid, let's hear you out." Okay, I was like, "Holy shit, it works!" <laughs> okay, <laughs> and uh, and then he gave me a job as a part-time fill-in guy. This is the kind of stuff Dave loves. I mean, you yeah. break into AM radio doing weekends and part-time, and 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 I want to see if Schuster knows this. The guy I was filling in for was Joe Madison. Oh yeah, Madison. he was a he was a star back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one that broke the. Uh, I don't know that he broke it, but he was the most. Uh, he stayed on the CIA bringing drugs into uh, urban centers in America. That story. He did a hunger strike uh, about it, etc. It's kind of a legendary black uh, talk show host from all uh, in the back in the day. I don't know. He might even still be on. He was on series for a long time. Uh, I think sometimes some people call him the Black Eagle, Joe Madison. Okay, and remember at the time I'm a Republican, and uh, and so apparently I'm going to give bipartisan love here because Joe was terrific to me, even though I didn't he didn't agree with a thing I said, and he'd often tell me, "Kid, you have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> and I remember thinking, all right, Joe, lefty thing. I mean, he's a nice guy and all that, but like the CIA bringing drugs to the inner cities. Many years later, I was like, 
Oh my God, he was totally right. <laughs> I might have even found his email and written him an email saying, sorry. Well, I mean, what does it say also about the golden age of radio when you could have somebody like what your political views were at the time as the substitute host for a guy like Joe Madison? I mean, that's just, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. And then they paired me up with a, a liberal guy and and we got along great, but that was back in the day when America didn't hate each other, right? It didn't uh, we didn't all despise one another and couldn't get along. We get along perfectly fine, uh, liberals and conservatives back in the day. Yeah. And by the way, I, I don't get me wrong, I get it that not everybody was getting along great at that time, but at least in political conversations, it was a thousand times more civil. Um, so uh, okay, but the now the much more fun uh, story about talk show conferences. Um, so I go and uh, every year back then, and all look half the room hasn't graduated, uh, hasn't gone to college. Um, now they're doing okay. They're they're running their program director, their general manager, etc. But they they all have a story about ah I was in the basement and I was fiddling around with the radio and I crossed the wires and then I heard this guy on the radio from New Mexico and I started listening to him and I was hooked and from then on I was a radio guy my whole life they almost all had that story okay uh, and remember I was in my 20s at the time so they were like now they'd be like 102 okay so anyways. But one time, this fairly attractive woman walks in. That never happened, okay? And like 45% of the guys had toupees on. I'm not exaggerating, okay? <laughs> so, like, to give you a sense of the room, right? Like, I'm like, what is this relatively hot chick I probably would have said at the time doing at this conference? So, I was like, I'm gonna go talk to her. And then she starts flirting with me, and I'm like, is this happening? And why is she flirting with me when I'm the least powerful person in this room by an order of magnitude, right? Shouldn't she be talking to one of the general manager or something, trying to get a job like I am? Because she's kind of young and uh, uh, you know coming up a little bit, but she had a little cachet back then. And so people were like, oh, that, ooh, look, she's here. And I'm like, that made it even stranger that she was talking to me. Many years later, as I was telling this story to probably to Ben on probably on old school, I was like, oh, duh, I didn't have a toupee. I was in my <laughs> 20s and I looked pretty okay back then. Of course, that was the only person <laughs> you could talk to in that room. That person's name was Laura Ingram. <laughs> okay, yeah. Now imagine if we had hooked up. Mm. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have been a hell of a thing. getting in any sort of uh, trouble. Um, Laura Ingram, you know, back in the day, she was a very attractive and interesting woman. Um, and she, you know, flirted, I suppose, with different people. And you probably, you probably could have had a nice time with her. Yeah, no, look, she was A, definitely attractive. B, remember at the time, I'm a Republican, not douchey Republican like everybody else, but at least like I think I'm on the same side as her. So there's no moral compunction there or anything. And uh, and uh, yeah, she was, she was, and I was so naive. I was such a kid. I was such a kid for so long. Like I, I looking back on it, 
I, I had gone on dates without even realizing I'd gone on dates. I'm like in a, I'm, out, I'm out of a sitcom. Um, and, and, and partly because I didn't have the kind, I didn't have the kind of confidence that I have now, especially in my looks, or with, you know, women or etc. Right, and so. Women would be interested in me, and I'd have no fucking idea. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, well, I guess I, I don't know if I dodged the bullet or if that would have been the funniest story of all time, right? So, you or disease. I would imagine if she had given you some sexually transmitted disease, and that's your story. Laura Ingram gave me an STD thirty years ago, whatever it was. That would be like well, great. that story is less fun because then you have an STD. <laughs> <laughs> That's the that's catch on that story. Uh, but as we've been talking about this, I forgot that, you know, when Dave initially said it, that sports was on AM radio. Yeah. And still is. And yeah, Dave, like you, um, I used to listen to the Yankees on AM radio. Mm. And so I had these great memories. I remember at Penn, for some weird reason, I could only get reception for AM radio in New York because Penn's in Philly, you remember. Um, in the basement in this like part of the quad in the freshman dorm that no one even knew about. I somehow found this room and I brought my little boom box in there so that I could study and listen to the Yankees. And so that's a good memory from AM radio that they're now gonna kill. Yeah. Dave, all of a sudden I'm on your side. What the fuck, man? <laughs> bring hashtag bring back AM radio. Right. It should be a deeply ironic hashtag. Or at least bring back all those like sports radio commercials, all those commercials of Budweiser and all the various they had brilliant commercials back then, the jingles that you could sing along with. Love that. Yeah. I got an idea for a jingle that we're gonna sing at some point in protests. I want to do it about the defense budget. I want to go to congressmen's offices and sing, how are you gonna pay for that? <laughs> and get it into That's- their heads. Wasn't very jingly. Wasn't very jingly. We'll have to work on it. We're gonna workshop yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> We're wrapping, so I'm gonna read a bunch of fun things at the end here. Uh, speaking of jingles, Mickey and four one seven says, "I love the old school music." I didn't even know we had old. Oh yeah, of course, the old song. Yeah, yeah, that was from my public access days. Somebody wrote that for me. Cena Hogaboom said, "Dave is so old school. He probably still listens to 78s." Dave, <laughs> do you have any 78s? I think Dave froze right there, uh, and Dave went the way of Avery. There you are, you're back. Dave, do you have any 78s? Yeah, no, I've, I never had 78s. <laughs> I had six tracks. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna show you guys something. I know we're out of time, but hold on. Because Jack just got this for me, which is super nice. Ah, God damn it, now I'm not gonna be able to. Oh, here it is. Is this a 78? Mm. It's like it could be a 45. Like it. Wow, it's the small ones. That would I think it's 45. Oh, then it's a 45. Okay, it's the it's Steelers fight song from 1983. <laughs> How's that for an awesome gift? All um, to the Steelers. Something like that. No, son, I'm gonna look it up. I asked Jack, how do I listen to it? Because I don't have a machine I could play that. He's like, <laughs> you go on YouTube and type in 1983 Steelers Park yeah. song. 
Uh, all right, last two comments. Chris Duran said the InfoWar dentist probably thinks that nitrous oxide is the uh, is the gay frog chemical. Zero out of ten would go there for a root canal. Fair. And last one's Alfred E. Newman. I can't believe no shout out for Air America. Morning Sedition. Rachel Maddow. That was great on AM radio. Well, uh, Alfred, I don't know if you know this, but we were on Air America, and. We kind of took over Morning Sedition's time slot. <laughs> and Mark Marin has never forgiven us. Mm. Um, so that's the fun way to end this story as we've ended AM radio. All right. Much love, everybody. Everybody check out David on Rebel Headquarters and Kohler. You'll see him around. Uh, I'll be back. All right, guys. Much love. See you next time.